Have you ever played Burial Cart, Steven? Oh, yeah. All the time. All right. Okay. So, so you are a fan of Burial Cart. So GameCube, Wii, or uh, Switch? What, what, Nintendo 64? What, what's yeah. your way to go? Nintendo 64? Uh, Nintendo 64, yeah. Okay. That's me and my college buddies. We started with the N64. GameCube on occasion. Um, anyways, finishing that that beer there before we started i can't lie it, it was it was a hard seltzer yeah it, it was a white claw <laughs> knockoff just finishing that reminded me of the good old days uh, anyway steven this is the mgo fish podcast i'm david arnold as always he's steven ostentoski as always uh, we needed a few days to to console ourselves after wisconsin yeah, I could have been. I should have been playing Burial Card during that time. <laughs> that would have been a better use. It of that, would have been time. a way better use of time. <laughs> um, yeah, I turned off the TV really early and watched the replay after I knew what already happened. Because, to be frank, I'd seen that pattern before, and and I had enough newborn shit to deal with, <laughs> both literally and figuratively. Yeah, didn't need <laughs> didn't need your five shit. Yeah, um, that's true. That's true. You'd expect them to be potty trained by that time. Yeah, yeah. you're five, baby. You, you better be up walking, wiping your own ass. Uh, no. Well, we got off to a vulgar start there, Steve. But I might have to, <laughs> might have to edit that out. Anyways, Michigan just played Rutgers, a program who, in year four, still in diapers. Um, and actually, they're, they're going to start all over with a newborn next year themselves, yeah. firing Chris Ash after Michigan demolishes Rutgers holds them to zero points for what the second time and oh no no during that 78 to nothing game was it 78 nothing or 78 seven it was 78 nothing yeah that was 78 nothing yep yep so second shutout in four years for the Michigan Wolverines over Rutgers Um, was that cathartic enough for you Stephen uh it was what had to happen it was it (laughs) It was a zero win situation for Michigan and, but they didn't come up with the loss both like they did everything they could have done to, uh, to not make people freak out. I'll say that if the worst you can say is, but Rutgers, then that's what you've accomplished, right? It's not like this looked bad. This looked bad. This looked bad. It was like, everything looked fine. But it was Rutgers, and that's exactly what you need it to be I think, after that loss. I think MGO Fish already combined those two into its own word with Butkers, right? Yep. I think a couple years oh, yeah. ago that they invented that. Yep. Um, well, I didn't. I didn't know if that was like because of the phrase, but it's Rutgers, or just that Rutgers is but. Like I don't know which one. It's definitely both. Both it should apply. apply. Yeah. <laughs> it should. Yeah, so, and, and and I'm kind of offended that they only fired us or sorry they only fired their head coach chris ash after this loss where they lost to boston college last week 30 to 16 and it's hilarious because they were like oh like 30 to 16 is an acceptable loss to boston college but then (laughs) losing 52 to nothing to michigan that's unacceptable it's kind of like a. I think it might have been all right chris you you know we're gonna lose to Michigan anyways, but yeah, make it look if you like if you can rally the troops, you know make this make this your Alamo, make it competitive. You know maybe we can talk. Yeah, you know because I bet I bet you that's what it was. It's like hey yeah. man, we're gonna fire you anyways, but but if you can rally the troops here, 
that, that yep. is that is your one saving grace, and it was not their one saving grace. No. Michigan ends up routing Rutgers fifty-two to nothing. Um, I have some takeaways. I don't know if they're hot takes. Okay. But uh, I, I'm curious to hear your overall opinion. Uh, first off, though, we took the week off last week uh, due to some circumstances beyond our control. This week, we're going to do one podcast, and then you're not going to be with me when I do the Rucker, uh, not the Rutgers, the Iowa preview on Thursday, yeah. Friday. Uh, you're going to be in Europe, Stephen? Yeah, I'm going on a uh, a ten week vacate or ten week, excuse me, ten day. It would be ten week. I would be a happy person. Richard no, Branson ten, over here with the cash. <laughs> ten day, ten day vacation, uh, going to Prague and then Budapest and then Vienna and then a wedding in Moldova, which is if you don't know where that is, that's right next to Romania in Eastern Europe. And uh, fun Whoa. fact about this wedding. Fun fact about this wedding, 125 people is the guest list, 180 bottles of vodka. <laughs> so that, that is the most Eastern the European. I was about to say that is thing ever. Yes. That's like yeah. my kind of party there, Stephen. So it'll be it'll be a fun time. Yeah. Lots of things scheduled. Um, we'll see. We have a no, I'm, I'm taking an overnight train um, from uh, Prague to Budapest on Saturday evening. So there may be a chance if that has Wi-Fi to tune in towards the end of that game, um, but obviously analysis won't be won't be doable. But uh, but we'll see we'll see. I'm I'm prioritizing um, some of the sites and and experiencing Europe. Now this wedding is it family members from Europe you've never met before? Is it oh, no, American member family members? It, it's or? an American member who worked in London met the. Uh, met the fiance, I guess current fiance to be wife while working in London, and uh, he actually is uh, going to uh, Ann Arbor. He's going to Michigan for his MBA. He went to Michigan for undergrad as well. Um, uh, he's uh, he's a cousin, and he's uh, he's marrying uh, his to be wife in Moldova, where she's originally from. So that's kind of uh, why the trip is happening out there. It'll be it'll be a good time. Cultural. That is awesome. But, That's often, you know, Stephen. I told you not to tell me what cities you're going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I wanted to hear, and that just blew me out of the water, man. I was thinking, you know, maybe I might go to Paris, maybe Milan, Italy. That is really cool. That's some cool stuff there, Stephen. I've only been to Europe once myself. Oh, where'd you go? Uh, London and then France. Um, there you go. It, true story. In our podcast, we only have a couple hundred listeners at this moment right here. Um, when me and Garrett first did the first round of the podcast, yeah. it, we did it for two and a half years. Um, me and my wife now, uh, yeah, we are newlyweds, and it, it was mm. New Year's time. We uh, were in London for three nights, and then we went to Paris for the day. Oh, yeah, we rode a train down to Paris, spent the whole day yep. there. On the train ride to Paris, um, I get a I get a DM in my Twitter account because I was like, oh, going to Paris for the day. Uh, right. A listener from the MGo Fish podcast said, "Hey, I'm in Paris right now. My grandmother lives here. I visit here three times a year. Let me show you around Paris." Wow! This is a true story. This is Harrison. No way Harrison ever listens to the podcast anymore. <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna Facebook him tonight. And be like, "Yo, I just talked about you for the first yeah. time in forever." Um, 
Harrison Rashashad. Ah, he, sure. He's going to be mad at me for not knowing his last name. <laughs> um, anyways, he was a college student in Canada, obsessed with American football at some point. Yeah. Randomly started following me on Twitter uh, and listening to the show. Long story short, showed me and my wife and my sister around the entire town of Paris. Took us from spot to spot to spot for the entire day. Spoke wow. French to everyone we needed to speak French to. Uh, we hit up Notre Dame way before yeah. it burned down. Right. Um, went to downtown uh, France. We saw the Eiffel Tower. And he was our tour guide the entire time. It was the coolest experience of my life. Like, honestly, the coolest experience of my life. Just, yeah. I mean, what are the odds? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. So we need to find a, a, a Prague, Budapest, Vienna, and Moldova yes. listener. <laughs> if you know how to speak, uh, what, Czech. All of those languages. Uh, yeah, yeah, hit up Steven Austin Tosky. Yeah, there you go. That's right. <laughs> at Tosky, right? Yeah, there you go. At Steven Tosky. It, it was literally the coolest <laughs> that's wild. thing. Yeah, yeah that at, is, that's and awesome. After like two years of my wife just rolling her eyes every time I was like, I need to do a podcast. <laughs> that one moment built me all the capital I needed for the rest of my exactly. life. Exactly. Like literally exactly. the rest of my life. It was, we got pictures, the whole thing. It was awesome. That's amazing. Harrison, yeah. Harrison you are a living legend. A living that's, legend. Yeah, that guy. That's a good guy right there. I would, I would send him beer, at like each spot. Yeah. Also, here's here's a fun fact about Prague, and I want you to guess here. How much do you think, a, it's 500 milliliters, so about a 16 ounce, beer. How much do you think that beer costs oh, in Prague? No. You know, it, in my mind at first, it's like, oh, Europe, everything's more expensive. Mm -hmm. But then you went alcohol on me. There's no way alcohol is more expensive for for how how many milliliters? So five hundred, so about sixteen fluid ounces. Thirty five cents. Okay, now you're crazy. Oh yeah, it's, I mean, I'm just gonna, I'm just undercutting. I, it's I, gonna I, be a dollar fifty. That is awesome, man. which is insane. Because yeah. in Chicago, Chicago, like a nice beer, you know, draft beer, you're looking at eight dollars or so, seventy dollars. You were expecting me to go high. I'm sorry. I, I, no, no, no. I don't go to I, bars. I, like I was expecting low. If it was 35 cents, I probably wouldn't come back. <laughs> I'd probably be like, you know, zero to beer belly in, in two weeks right there. But yeah. but no, it'll be it'll be a good time. Looking Join forward the to dad it. bod crew right there. Yeah, right. <laughs> zero to 100. Anyway, Stephen, I had I had to ask you about Europe because we had talked about beforehand. I was very curious. Very yeah. curious. The only thing I'm more curious about right now. Ooh. Josh Gaddis, this Here whole sideline thing. It, it, I'm I'm so prepared to diverge paths one way or the other. And I'm like two weeks away, maybe even one week away, if Iowa goes really well, from being all aboard the all gas need to do is get on the sideline and, and, and we're off and running here. Yeah. I'm equally, equally prepared. Of one more week of of the first three weeks of the season to be like, well, okay, that was the dumbest storyline I ever heard in my life. <laughs> um, right up there with, oh, Michigan's defense is going to be fine on the defensive tackle position, even though we have Ben Mason there. Um, right. What do you think of the offense? Well, your thoughts, fifty-two to nothing. It looks good. It sounds good. On film, though. Yeah. What changed to make it different, other than? We went from playing a top 15 team to a Wisconsin top 10 team. There's no doubt. Right. Top 10 yeah. team to playing an FB, uh, FCS opponent. You know, right. Rutgers. I mean, <laughs> genuinely, it looked like 
we'll get into this in a minute. I thought it looked like the JV team playing the freshman team in high school. Yeah. That's yeah. what I thought. I Tell me, what are your, your thoughts and opinions? It, it is egregious how bad Rutgers is, but I think um, – and, and obviously, as always, I'm not going to keep saying it's Ru- – like, it's Rutgers, but always keep that in the back of your mind you <laughs> with should, anything no, I say should, here. You should really always think it's Rutgers. However, I think there's a lot of things offensively that are independent of whatever defense you're playing against, and it's pretty clear that Michigan's been getting in their own way these the first three games. Of course, a poor opponent will allow you to be better, but Michigan didn't fumble on their first possession of the game. You know, that that's one thing that is generally opponent independent. Um, you know, they didn't, I don't think they had a fumble all game. I think a late punt return was the only uh, fumble. I think it was um, Mike St. Ristol fumbled that punt return. So overall, you know, there was one turnover on the interception that was uh, a, an attempted fade to Nico Collins. That'll happen. You know, we're, we're, wanting to see those guys involved more on those one-on-one matchups. So that's kind of like a, well, you're trying it, go for it. Like you got to do that. So I think the things that stood out, um, I do like this switch of Gattis to the sideline. I think it's, um, it was a game where you can really try that without much downside, right? If it doesn't work, then like even go up at halftime, but just see how it, how it fits. You know, he's never been a coordinator before, or at least never, a uh, big time coordinator, you know, he's had a piece in the play calling, but he's only now started calling plays. There's a big difference, I think, from, you know, he seems like a film guy who really likes to break down plays and, and see the whole picture of an offense. It's obviously harder to do that on the sideline, but, you know, there's got to be intricacies of interacting with the players, getting their feedback, getting things that they're seeing from their point of view that can be really valuable as well. So I think it's good just to get him that experience. Obviously, it seems like it, it paid off this time. So it'll be interesting just to see that sort of contrast and what happens moving forward. Um, but I think that was like a just a good thing to try um, in terms of his, you know, his growth as an offensive coordinator. And then it, dri- what, what's yeah. it drives me crazy. Thinking about it now, I mean, I mean, hindsight, whatever. Thinking about it now that that Gaddis, the highest, you know, the the quickest shooting star in the world of college football, mm-hmm. the hottest shooting star, being in the booth for for the first three games, this is a guy who is on track to be a head coach in two years. I mean, I think if you would have had a Tom Herman like run, and which is still potentially possible. He could be on track for, for a high-profile job within the next 12 to 24 months. If not that, within the next 36 months, it's almost a guarantee he'll have a head coaching job somewhere. It, you know, it just depends on how successful they're going to be at Michigan, whether it's a P5 job or a G5 job. Right. I don't yeah. think there's any disagreement, though, that the next step for him is a head coaching job. That he would that he would not want to be on the sidelines to start the season with, with Jim Harbaugh. That, that just drives me crazy in, in one sense. Uh, second off, I'm all for the hype. The one thing I do agree with him, I, I would say, what, man, this is like getting your heart broken by, by, by a new girl and having her immediately <laughs> want, your, want you to trust her again. Um, him being on the sidelines is like, okay, this is a nice gimmick. This is a nice fallback option for you. If you're successful the rest of your cool, this works. I'll give you a couple more weeks before I complain. Still don't totally trust him, though. 
he did say the offense needed leadership. Yeah. That was part of the reason why he's moving to the field. I I agree with that. And I, I think that's a really troubling sign for this team. Just with with the senior leadership from Shea that should be there, et cetera, et cetera. You know, upperclassmen such as DPJ. I I do wonder if there's just a leadership void. And if Gaddis can fill it, that's fine. Um those are just things I think about, you know, when we play teams like Iowa next week or Wisconsin last week. Anyways, uh, continue. I went on a little rant there. What was your next point there, Stephen? Yeah, no, just go back on that. I think, I think Gaddis just stands out to me as like a film guy. And totally. if, if, if I were a coordinator, my first thing would be, I want to see everything that's happening at once, like in one frame. Like I, it would drive me crazy. And I'm even that way as a spectator. Right. If I'm low and I can't see, like I just want to be able to see everything. I totally to agree. I totally agree. You know, in baseball, I, I prefer the the nosebleeds as opposed to you know front row versus a third baseline. Right. But same exact yeah. reason. Same exact yep. reason. But yeah, I, I don't necessarily see it as like a downside in terms of like the emotional aspect. There's there's leaders and then there's like emotional leaders. It's possible that DPJ Patterson I think Bredesen comes off as a pretty stoic guy as well. I don't know the personalities. I don't know how they interact. But if they're more, um, you know, leaders by example, if you have a coach that, you know, think of Don Brown, just someone who's like screaming in your face and can add a little bit of life, just add a little bit more in terms of emotion into that. I don't think it's necessarily cause for concern, but it could add a little bit more. uh, I don't know exactly like hype is a bad word for it, but just a little more oomph into, into like the offensive life. I don't know, kind of, kind of wake them back up or something. So I, I think there's, you know, uh, it's a good game to try that out. And I liked like the emotion he was showing, you know, he was talking to a lot of people. It seemed like he, it didn't seem like he was lost, you know, on the sidelines. So I think that's, that's a good sign. He was, he was interacting with a lot of different players, a lot of different personnel. So that's always a good sign. It did make me happy to see his passion. See, the yeah. fiery passion was something we needed. Yeah. Especially, you know, the way the fumbles happened, the first possession of every drive for Michigan, the first three games of the season, instantly the energy was sucked out of the offense. Right. Yeah. I mean, and possibly not even to their fault because you get some bad luck, you turn the ball sure. over it just it just sucks you dry mm-hmm. right yep seeing gas bring the passion was something i desperately needed to see that that was a staple you know when things really turned wrong for hoke <clears throat> the the first time i really noticed oh no brady hoke is in trouble this team is in trouble this culture is in trouble i felt like all of the hubris and confidence from his teams was fake confidence. Yeah. Was false confidence. Was them saying, we're supposed to be Michigan, so we're going to try to act like Michigan. And it felt very forced. Right. And that was something I did. I was, I've been worried, and I still am worried about this year's team. I don't want the confidence to feel forced. Right. Um, so having Gaddis come down there and very much do his best Jim Harbaugh impression was, was very comforting to see because we need the true passion from those guys. You know, that's something I wanted to see from this game at the very least. And we saw it. So that's where I am. Yeah. And you think that now that Harbaugh's a bit, you know, more hands off on the offense, he's not really where I think years past, he was kind of the leader. You know, he has his hand in calling a lot of the plays. He had his hand in designing the offense. So he was kind of that more of that leader on the sideline. I'm just thinking of like during the Wisconsin game, 
you're down 21 nothing and then the main guy who built your offense and who is the main guy calling the plays he's a thousand feet up in a booth and you're going through hell you're going through you're really struggling and the main guy who's who's calling it isn't down there struggling with you i don't know i think there, there's got to be something there i could totally be so, wrong. that could be a learning curve for harbaugh too you're right yeah I'm, I'm, that's a very astute point there Stephen. because it is hard I, I would imagine for harbaugh to hand off the reins because if you know if he threw a really big traditional harbaugh fit which i think are positives right i think that's a positive in his coaching uh, arsenal is that he gets so emotional but if he if he gets that emotional while he's not calling the plays in those first three games, they're gonna zoom in on him and be like, "Oh, is Harbaugh taking over the play calling right now?" Right. You know that's that's something I'm sure he was conscious of. So with Gattis there, they can both freak out together. You know, maybe maybe there is a little spark there. You know, who yep. knows? And then the other thing I saw from the offense, just like from overall their approach, this game is much more balanced. You know, they had. 41 rushing attempts to 27 passing attempts, I think. Or, yeah, yeah, 27 passing attempts. Um, You know, if you're just looking at the stats, 3.4 yards per rush, uh, you know, that doesn't really stand out as, like, a successful game. But Rutgers really was kind of loading the box. They were bringing their safeties down quite a bit. That left a lot of one-on-one matchups on the outside with their receivers. So Patterson, you know, had a pretty efficient day, 20 for 27. thing I really liked what they did that we saw a lot of last year was a lot of QB waggle. They really leaned on the play action. They set up the run really nicely. You know, even if it's only 3.4 yards per rush, that contributed so much more to the 335 yards of passing in a way that against Wisconsin, we had none of that. I didn't. It, it was not established at all. You know, watching the replay, I guess I need to rewatch it again. I didn't see very many um, of the quote-unquote RPO-type plays. Uh, Was that taken out of the system? And I can see it's perfectly fine if it was, perfectly fine if it wasn't. It wasn't something I was looking for, but it wasn't something I noticed either where where maybe the quarterback skill set for both Patterson and... McCaffrey, even though McCaffrey did not play, but maybe for those two specifically, you know, RPOs just aren't a successful move. Was it neutered? What were your thoughts when you saw that? So I didn't see a whole lot of, like, read options where it was either the quarterback running or uh, or a handoff, right? I did see, I think, a couple RPOs, definitely not the same amount against Wisconsin, um, but it did seem like they just kind of... Uh, adopted a lot of last year's scheme where most run plays were straight up run plays. They went back to the down G blocking scheme. They did a a lot of things that we saw last year where, um, you know, they even went under, under center and, you know, in single back formation. Which is very nice to see. Yeah. Which is great to see. And you know, it does, you know, the evolution of offensive coordinator is, adapting to the skill set of your team. And that is true. In college football, almost more than any other sport and even level of system, you adapt to your talent more than the talent adapts to your system. Absolutely. You, you have to. You have to. You have no other choice. Um, and that's something that, that I definitely felt like was a big thing for me seeing this game. It did feel a lot more like a Harbaugh-style offense. Not necessarily a bad thing either because, honestly, Harbaugh's offenses did just fine 
You know, I mean, how many points did Michigan score against Ohio State last year? The final score was what, 62 to 38. Mm-hmm. But they still scored 38 points. Um, it, this is a team that has struggled against really good defenses. And maybe if you use the Harbaugh offensive system and, and mesh it a little bit more with the Gatta system, the, you know, the Joe Moorhead system, you, you don't completely choose one or the other. You know, maybe 75% Moorhead, 25% Harbaugh. I don't know the mix. You know, just say, you know, numbers yeah. are tangible. Well, they don't really mean anything intangible. Um, abstract is the word I was looking for. But but if you if you mesh those things together maybe and see what works, take what works from last year a little bit more, maybe this is something beyond just plain records. Yeah. Uh, you know, no, something and, you can and evolve you're, from. And you're totally right. It's it would have been way more successful if you adopt if you lay the foundation for Gaddis's offense and implement Harbaugh's within it. You add the wrinkles uh, of what Gaddis brings with RPOs and more read options, more putting players on the defense in conflict. All of that is is modernizing, uh, I think, what Harbaugh's offense was was missing. So I think it's and, – and that's exactly what we saw. We saw a lot of, of plays that still were a couple RPOs and, you know, had the option to run quick, right? It wasn't an offense where we're, you know, burning the, the play clock down to one second each time. We we were at times picking up the pace quite a bit. And um, I think that's, that's what mainly Harbaugh's offense lacked. It was always a tough offense to run when you were behind because it predicated on the run. I think, you know, we're shifting, like you said, to the personnel of Michigan where you have a, a mobile quarterback. We saw a lot more uh, quarterback waggles. Um, this game where Patterson's rolling out and has, you know, three levels of options to throw to utilize his legs. He's just as good on the run. You mitigate some of the, uh, offensive line issues we saw against Wisconsin. That makes me more excited than anything yeah. else I saw. Uh, continue your point. I have one thing I want to say after that, yeah. so, but continue. Yeah. So, so it, it felt like they have finally started understanding that, you know, let's not light the Harbaugh offense on fire. There are lots of things great about it, as you said, and let's modernize it a bit, add some flavors to it. And it, it seems like they're they're realizing what they were good at last year, um, you know, starting to in- incorporate a lot of those those blocking schemes and how Harbaugh's offense catered to the skill set of Patterson. And they still need to kind of ramp up on the Gaddis on the Gaddis aspect of it, instead of just going all in on that, because I feel like they lost, they kind of lost themselves. They lost their complete identity. Just completely lost it. And this felt like a very composed offense. Again, you're comfortable, not a good opponent, but they still ran the offense. Well, there were very few times where I felt like, uh, you know, I, I don't remember a time where they had to burn a timeout where they looked out of sync. There were very rarely any blown plays. Um, it just it looked a lot smoother um, overall, and I think that is opponent independent. Um, I, I have one qualm about the Rutgers game offensively. Mm-hmm. Nico Collins had that forty-eight yard touchdown to start the day. He yep. had one catch the rest of the day for eleven yards against Rutgers. Can we not get Nico Collins like ten catches? Can we can we not plan to at least get him not just involved but like make him the centerpiece? Can we, like one one thing that that stresses me a little bit and concerns me about this offense, you have a player like Nico Collins who's so obviously the best player, and yes he 
he might get double teamed, but also you have Donovan Peoples Jones on the other side of him. And Drake Black, you know, Ronnie Bell, et cetera, et cetera. You have enough options where they can't just zone in on Nico Collins the whole time. At least that would be my belief. I I'm not mad. I'm not annoyed, but I think you it's, sound mad. I'm I know, I because I'm I'm a little troubled by it, frankly. Sure, like sure. I'm a little troubled that fifty two to nothing, we dominated Rutgers. Shea can't find the confidence to give it to Nico. And you know, he tried one time and threw interception, I guess, later in the game. And maybe that was them trying to get Nico more involved. But, like, I, I guess maybe I'm just feeling some angst from, like, a fantasy football perspective. You know, you know, I play NFL fantasy. I don't play college. But, like, when you play fantasy football in the NFL, you have a player like Julio Jones who is dominant and going to dominate every corner. And, you know, some games he'll get, like, three catches. And you're just like, no, no, there's no way. Like, they're NFL minds. How can you not scheme to get your best player the ball more times than that? And I only say this out of concern because this has been the pattern the entire year for Nico Collins. For whatever reason, Michigan's just not getting him the ball. And we saw on the first drive what he can do if he gets the ball. Um, I'm not worried. I'm not concerned, but I am frustrated by that. Against Rutgers, of all people, can we not get him 10 catches? Um, I... It's it's ultimately a moot point. Like it doesn't matter, but it is something I just kind of was frustrated by. And then I guess one other thing before we move on, I don't know how much more of the offense you want to talk, but I have one more thought on the offense. There's no quarterback competition between Joe Milton or Shea Patterson. Uh, maybe there's one between Milton and McCaffrey when McCaffrey comes back. I'm okay with that line of thought. However, there's no zip on Shea Patterson's balls. The, the entire time I was watching that game, I mean, maybe I'm super biased going into thinking about it, but I've never noticed this before about Shea Patterson necessarily. There are times where he was throwing passes, and I was concerned when they left his hands that they were not going to get to the receiver in time. They look like they're floating. I mean, not floating, but like even the zip balls 8 to 15 yards out just don't have a lot of oomph on them. Yeah. Am I, am I crazy in thinking? Am I, should that be something I, I'm concerned about? I mean, when I just look at other top-tier, smaller quarterbacks, like the Baker Mayfields of the world, the the Kyler Murrays of the world, those those other guys who are his size, you know, the ball comes out quick off their hands, and I just I just feel like against better defenses, there's a chance that it just doesn't half those passes are not completed because the defense gets there in time. Yeah, I, I, I think. Don't know. I think when you're comparing against Joe Milton, <laughs> that, and that's who has it too. like a Stafford arm, you know, like he has just a bullet. Well, like th- that's something else. The throw with Giles Jackson, you know, what it, it took me like 15 times watching it, which I did yeah. watch it 15 times because it was that beautiful. What I what I realize is that's the first time I've seen a Michigan quarterback throw the ball like that since Chad Henney to Mario Manningham. Or, yeah, on a cross pattern, you know, on a post pattern, you know, to beat Penn State in 2006. Right. That That's, like, one of the last times I can remember a Michigan quarterback throwing the ball like that. I, I'm sure, I, I'm pretty sure Chad Henney was the last Michigan quarterback who could throw it like that. Yeah. Um, well, know. he was on the, like, right hash of the 35-yard line <laughs> and threw just, like, across the field. Casually. Into the left, I mean, left corner. Yeah. Casually. He's, he's got, I think the thing about Patterson... Um, he is definitely, if you're looking at like his NCAA 
you know, EA Sports stats. He no, would definitely the, the right way to contextualize it. Exactly. He would he would definitely probably have like a 93, 94 accuracy and like an 80, 82 or something power. He's not a power guy. Where Milton Milton's at a 98 power and like 80 accuracy maybe. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely on the, the opposite side. I think the thing that really hurts Patterson that um, I don't know if emphasizes the issue or um, further complicates things is he he waits until someone is blaringly wide open, like very open. He, it's the Nico Collins problem, man. Like yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't throw. He he he. I don't know if it's like a sense thing, but he always waits an extra beat for that throw. So if you're throwing just a, a second or a half second late and you don't have the Joe Milton power behind that throw, it's going to make it look like it's even, you know, a less powerful throw because of that weight, because you're expecting that pass to come out while the receiver is coming open. Instead, he waits until he is open. And then not only is the pass not getting there on time, but it's also not a powerfully thrown ball. So I think that's, that's a big aspect of it. But I think you're right where, you know, a lot of times you're going to have to throw it at the appropriate time. And with that, you know, that arm strength not being a major plus for him, that could come back to bite you. So, and it's, it's mainly a reason that he struggled against Wisconsin and, you know, against, against Ohio state last year. And, and that's a big thing. If you're waiting for people to come open instead of throwing to the open area, a receiver will be. Um, and if you're not comfortable doing that, then you're going to eat a lot of sacks. You're going to hold on to the ball longer than you should. And you're gonna have have some rough games against better competition. I think that's been his biggest uh, holdout uh, thus far. It, and then, unless that mental process gets quicker, which there's no reason to believe it will, right? Um, that's that's a ceiling camper for, for the football team. Yep. And I and I get the the frustration real quick about Collins not getting more catches. I think this was just the case where they had everything open to them. And Nico Collins is a guy they will utilize in one-on-one fade jump ball scenarios more. I just think they will. And there's no need to do that when you have a high percentage throw across the middle to Ronnie Bell. I mean, six catches, 83 yards. He was, he was making everything work. That's fair. And, and I, I expect Collins to be a huge part uh, of the game plan moving forward. And if not, you're absolutely correct. And, you know, I don't really have any reason to believe that. Yeah, other... it's all speculative. I mean, it's yeah, football. There, there's not enough sample size ever. At the end of the Wisconsin game, man, if they're not learning that exactly what you said, that just throw up to the guy, if, if they if they didn't learn that, then we're in bigger trouble than even I think we are right now. So, yeah. And, that, and that's ultimately where we are. It is funny, you know, before the season, our two expectation guys we thought were going to break out were, were – um, Ronnie Bell and Jalis Jackson. And yeah. and to be honest, I'm very excited about both of them. Like the the next two, three years for both those guys should be very awesome. Jalis Jackson is explosive, man. He is yeah. he is he is something. Uh he's gonna be special. I I bet he has ball control problems. I bet he fumbles in practice all the time. That's just that's just the vibe <laughs> I get with him. I don't um, know, man. They they put him in the backfield a couple times. Um I I don't think they do that with, with how I know often he's so ex- the ball. he's so explosive. He's just so explosive. I just wonder like what what's 
what's the reason they're not like quite trying to unlock him yet? He's young, man. Why haven't you unlocked? Uh, and this is a good transition. Why haven't you unlocked Chris Hinton? Why haven't you unlocked Massey Smith? Um, you know, uh, that's a different conversation. You know, with, with the wide receivers, you got five, six NFL guys. You know, defense. That's true. That's the one thing. Talking about ceiling cappers, Lachey moving to the defensive yeah. side of the ball. Yeah. Ceiling capper, that defensive line, at times against Rutgers, I thought wasn't pretty. You know, if it wasn't a passing down, just watching the line up the middle was just getting beat. And I'm concerned that I was just going to run down our throats for 40, 60 minutes and we're not going to be able to stop them. And then if that happens against Iowa and Wisconsin, literally every other, you know, I mean, Michigan State is going to do the same thing, even though their offense line is terrible. I mean, their offense line might be a good 50-50 battle with our defense, interior defensive line. Um, you know, Penn State, my God, I don't even want to think about Penn State is going to take our biggest weakness, which is the defensive line, and they're just going to obliterate it. Notre Dame is going to do the same thing. Those are both two teams with Big Ten personalities if you if you have Big Ten weaknesses, you know, traditionally. You know, Notre Dame's happy running it up your gut if, if, you, if you let them, um, albeit out of a spread offense, but they'll still do it nonetheless. Um, Michigan State will try to do it, and Ohio State is just going to have the athletes and the size to do whatever they want. That's like five games out of the next seven, eight that can do that. That's not good. Um, yeah. Okay, what are your thoughts on the defense? G- give me some hitters here. Yeah, so I think the the defensive line overall, um, definitely still the area of concern. I think you're you're not paying attention if that if that's not what you're thinking. But I mean, you look at the guys who had six or more carries for Rutgers between Blackshear, Adams, and Pacheco, and Blackshear and Pacheco are by far Rutgers' best athletes. I mean, those whoever the running back coach for Rutgers has to be like the saddest guy in the world because he also I think they were one of the first programs to offer Saquon Barkley. They offered uh, Jonathan Taylor for like really early on. So they identify really, really good running backs. And uh, Pacheco and I think Blackshear were two of those guys that that uh, that obviously they were high on and they're legit guys for Rutgers. So to, to keep them at 2.3 for Pacheco, three yards per carry for Adams and 1.8 for Blackshear. That's pretty good. Like, yeah, the, the offensive line is really bad for Rutgers, but those those running backs have huge potential to create a lot of yards on their own. And the longest run was only six yards. So I think while it looked there were a couple chunks, um, you know, I, I'm not overly concerned about the run defense. Well, well, whoa, 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 whoa. It's Butkers. Mm-hmm. We're, t- we're talking about Butkers. Right now, That I think the defensive line is the ultimate, like, you can't take anything away from this game. Sure, sure. But I'll say this. Wisconsin obviously had a record the, the day. The complete opposite side of the spectrum, right? <laughs> you can't, well, yeah, you almost can't yeah. take anything away from them. I, anyway. don't, yeah. I don't think any other team on the schedule, maybe Ohio State, um, but even then, I think Michigan was just an awful, awful awful matchup for Wisconsin and Wisconsin is also one of the best teams uh, in the big 10 at this point. So I think you're, you're definitely right that, that Wisconsin exposed everything we were worried about. Um, 
hopefully Cam McGrone, you know, he was against Wisconsin. That was his first game as the Mike linebacker. He got a lot of time as, as Ross was injured. So the, the issue with Cam McGrone has always been that he has the athleticism, you know, he's a five-star. I feel like no one was talking about him. <laughs> like he was a five-star linebacker and he just kind of like came into the program and here he is, but you know, redshirt freshman takes some time to actually process and get up to speed. Now he's he finally like getting the real deal. Yeah. The real deal. So as soon as his mental game picks up, you know, it's a tough position. You're a leader. You're, you're the defensive captain really at that position. So if he's starting to catch up now, that is huge. Um, but you know, Wisconsin was his first game in extended action and that's a really, really tough team to match up against. So hopefully that mitigates it. We got uh Jeter back and Dwum four, thankfully got some time. Um, really disliked how, how Jeter played against, um, against Wisconsin. He, he didn't really do well at all, but, uh, <laughs> interested to see, yeah, interested to see how Dwumfor does. And then obviously there's been praise for, for Smith and Hinton. Um, again, I don't know how much to believe that, whether it's like, we need these guys to like be brought up to speed or they're actually getting there. You know, it's hard to say whether this is like we're waving a red flag and Hey, freshmen step up or they're actually guys who are ready to, uh, to really compete at a high level. So it's, it's still scary. And like you said, we didn't learn much. Um, but, uh, but at least health wise, it, it, we're, we're getting closer than we were at, uh, at Wisconsin around the front seven. So, Yeah. Steven, I appreciate all of your your at least semi optimism. You're you're here for me, man. You're here for Here's, me in my moment of uh not trusting or believing in anything. Here's the thing, man. I like I can't blame you anymore. And as much like optimism as I can say, I will not be surprised if something falls off, you know, because I was I was optimistic before this season. And how well did that, you know, like things Things happen that you can't really explain or you can't really foresee. Who saw this big of a – I mean, who saw Ambry Thomas starting the season? That's one thing where everyone was predicting him out. And then you can say any number of things where, you know, it's the opposite, where, where things look like they're going to really explode for the passing offense. And then it, it slows down and it's the the weakness of, of, the, of, the, uh, of the team. So – it's such a volatile team. I feel like this year where you can see uh, you can from week to week, you don't really know what to expect. So while, you know, I'm looking at the schedule, I could see Iowa and Michigan state as wins. I could very easily see you lose one of those and lose, um, you know, Penn state, Notre Dame, Ohio state. Those are all really good teams. Well, so this, it's, is, this is a good time to transition to our last little mini topic. Of yeah. Life. Um, okay, you know, Michigan got crushed by Wisconsin, and I think that was a very much an expectation adjustment. And here's how I feel, yes. man. It's kind of, you know, where are we, Stephen, at this point? Um, it's kind of with Michigan football, what to expect, you know, when you're not expecting. And the, old, the old book, uh, when you first get pregnant or someone you know gets pregnant, the hands of the book, it's, it's what to expect when you're expecting. Yep. Um, but here it is with Michigan. You know, you know, we've lost to Ohio State 15 out of 16 years now. Um, we've been, you know, four. Uh, we've won four out of the last eight against Michigan State. Maybe I think is it might even be like four out of the last ten in Michigan State. 
Um, big games, Michigan has come out empty, mm-hmm. even with the talent over the past decade, and which has been about half the time. Um, and here we go. It looks like Jim Harbaugh's team does not have either the talent, the cohesion, the leadership. I don't. I don't know what it is yet. And with a retrospective after the year, we can identify what exactly it is that Michigan was missing or is missing. Caveats aside, you know, maybe we turn this around and have a little, you know, James Franklin, Penn State, 2017, 2016, 2017-esque run. Um, Everything's possible. Who knows? But this is where I'm at. What to expect when you're not expecting Michigan to be a playoff contender? Which, even though they've lost to Ohio State the past, you know, four years, they've been in the playoff hunt until they play Ohio State, you know, two, three out of the last four years. What are your expectations going into the next, you know, quarter of the season? We're officially, I guess, next third of the season. We're officially a third of the way through. Um, how do you feel, Stephen, moving forward? Uh, how have your expectations changed from four weeks ago when yeah. we started the season? Yeah, I, I had Michigan at like two losses on the season. I was expecting like a Notre Dame and then Ohio State just because I can't pick Michigan against Ohio State every year and still be respected as like a somewhat partial person. Um <laughs> And uh, unfortunately, Ohio State still looks true. Notre Dame's still a top 10 team. So, but I didn't see Wisconsin blowing the doors off. Um, didn't expect the offense. And I think it was pretty naive. I don't know, like, everyone was kind of buying in. I w- shouldn't say everyone. There were a couple people who were kind of telling people to, to hold off on the speed and space and stuff. But um, I think we were just all excited. So I, I didn't foresee the learning curve that we're at now i'm now expecting i think there's gonna it's gonna be eight and four and then with an outside chance at nine and three um ohio state looks like the best team in the country and it's just ridiculous it's not fair it's ridiculous (laughs) how little they miss that's the thing you you have a guy who was was ryan day was what a passing Mm. a passing game coordinator that was it he's good at his job and then he's like, just, I mean, he was given the keys to a Lamborghini. So I swear like, if the Miami Dolphins do not hire Ryan Day <laughs> in the next two years, yeah. Stephen Ross deserves to you know, give us a lot more money, I guess. Yep. I, don't know. I, don't, I don't know. But, but then they can get a transfer quarterback and right away just plug in and look like a, a Heisman candidate. So it's, it's crazy. It's just crazy. And I, I just no one in the right mind would predict a win over that. If you took, cause Michigan was favored, what, like six points in, in that game. If you took that at the beginning of the season, um, you're probably, you know, depending on how big of a fan you are and how much you like money, you're either happy or sad. But so I see that as a loss. I still see Michigan state as a win. Um, it's going to be a closer game than I was initially Michigan expecting. Michigan state is not good. That's one thing I think we've learned. Their defense was getting carved up, but that Indiana quarterback, if he stays healthy, he was scary. He set the Big Ten, or was it Big Ten? He tied, I think, the Big Ten record um, for the most consecutive completions at 20. He had 20 you, straight completions. You want to hear something funny, Stephen? Uh, my sister, huge Michigan football fan. She's yeah. been in two football games in her life. The first, okay, so this weekend was one of them for Michigan State because her, her boyfriend got free tickets through Meyer. He works for Meyer. 
right? Sure. So they got free tickets. So they're like, oh, okay, we'll go, whatever. It's only an hour east of where they live. So they went to that game. Miserable experience, right? Michigan State almost lost to Indiana. No one's happy. The only yep. other game she's ever been to, Michigan-Akron 2012. Wow. Where Michigan, or was it 2013, 2012? I think it was 2012, where yeah. you know they had the Sky Rider come in and then he went to Michigan yeah. State and everyone was feeling really good like this is the year for Michigan this is where it finally happens Brady Hoke's coming off that Sugar Bowl BCS victory and Devin Garner throws five interceptions almost um, lose to Akron it took a fourth and goal line stand on the one yard line and they or, missed and they like barely missed the catch to yeah, win for, oh, for Michigan terrifying. to win the game and so my sister is going to two football games in her life and had no fun. I don't think I either one of them. Yeah. So yeah. Anyways, that's I, I felt so bad for her because I just yeah. no one's having fun. I I, no. I told her she was allowed to cheer for state for one weekend. That's okay. You can do it. It's okay. Free tickets, man. I can't, that's fair. I, I can't pass them up. Go have fun. But no then fun. Uh, no fun. Yeah. Anyways, so I continue. see Ohio. I see Ohio State, and then I think Michigan beat Iowa. Um, SP plus likes Michigan in that matchup. The line opened at seven. I think it's down to four points in favor uh, of Michigan right now. Um, but I still think Michigan will beat Iowa. I think knowing that the season and the big 10 championship is on the line, you have no room for error now. I think that's, that's still really present in all the players, all the coaches minds. They're going to, they're going to lay out a lot out there uh, against Iowa before heading to uh, Champaign for Illinois. And I don't think they have to prepare a whole lot for Illinois. So I think you're going to see emptying a bit of, you know, of what they have saved up for that Iowa game. It's a huge game. And then I see Michigan losing one of, um, at least one of Notre Dame and Penn State back-to-back weeks. What of, huh? That yeah, sounds so, awfully confident. There, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If it's eight and four, which I'm predicting, it'd be both losses. Yeah. I, I think of those two, I think Notre Dame is more likely to be a victory. I think Penn State, again, Penn State found this random guy as their quarterback this year after, um, I don't know if he was a transfer. or I think they had a transfer, and this guy was a backup who beat the transfer. I should do more Penn State. Um research but but they're looking really solid so i think um if if it's nine and three it would be losses uh to penn state and ohio state um if it's eight and four it would be a loss to those two programs as well as notre dame so that's my expectation i again i'm i'm understanding of a nine and three in that scenario i could totally see seven Michi- and five I could, I could. Well, here's the thing: seventy-five say, almost, almost would be the most likely outcome I could see at this point. I right. could eight and four seems like yeah, right. right. Seems like it for me. Nine and three seems like an optimist, um, but I could totally see Michigan rolling into uh, the Ohio State game at seven and four. And then beating Ohio State. How terrible would that be if the year that Michigan finally beats, you know, Justin Fields and Ryan Day and everything in a meaningless How game? T- wait, 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 wait! Shut. Hold on. Shut your shut your Think pile. about it. No, dude. F- Stephen, go away. No, you're no, you're fired, man. Anytime <laughs> Michigan beats Ohio State, it's a meaningful game. That I get that, that game, I. I don't. I don't care if there's no Big Ten on the line. I don't care if there's no national playoff 
you know, picture on the line. You play Ohio State, you beat Ohio State. The game means infinitely more than any other game on the schedule, no matter hey, what. I'm hundred times out of hundred, more than the Big Ten championship game. At, after 2016, where you win and you're in the Big Ten championship with playoff aspirations. After 2018, going into Ohio State, Big Ten championship, playoff aspirations. Boy, and then 2019. Tell me. 2019, you go in at 7-4. and four. I don't care. Go in at 1-10 and, and, and beat, beat Ohio State. I don't oh care. My God. That, sa- that saves a coach's job if you beat Ohio State at 1-10. and 10. I don't care. I, don't, I'm, I am dead serious at this point. <laughs> you know what's going to be very cathartic to me one day? I don't know when it's going to happen. I might be 74 by the time it happens. Michigan is going to blow out Ohio State. And I will I, – I am not kidding you, Stephen – I will watch every second of that game every single day for the next 364 days. I, I, I am not even kidding you. I, the next time Michigan beats Ohio State, I will probably watch the accelerated highlight reel, you know, like the 10-minute highlight oh, reel yeah. of that game 364 times <laughs> before the next time they play. I, I'm not <laughs> It's been so long. It has. It's, so re- it's ridiculous. I, I, Sometimes, I think I think Michigan fans, the fan base, has tried really hard over the past two decades to not get a. Um, I don't want to call it a little brother attitude, but but like a you know we're we're the inferior program right now attitude. I I don't exactly have the right words to say what I want to say in that regard, but I feel like for a long time Michigan fans have been fighting that. And I think the only way to remedy and get back, ever get back to an even kill with Ohio State is to face those facts as a fan base, as a program, oh, yeah. and say, we are the inferior program. We need to treat this game with the respect it deserves, and we really need to hate Ohio State. And I think, I think the rivalry's been respected by every coach so far. I don't, I don't think there's any disrespect. You know, Brady, Hoke did a gr- Brady Hoke did the best job, I think, of any of the coaches of the past decade of being like, we're aiming for this game. This game matters more than anything else. I don't care about anything else. And I think that's the only attitude to have yep. if you're at Michigan because that's the only attitude Ohio State has. I have, I have a really good friend who works on the staff at Ohio State. And every single day he Snapchats me the countdown clock to the Michigan game. I'm not even kidding you. The Michigan game clock or some variance of it is in every single room in the Ohio State facility. Yep. That's a level of of obsession that is needed to win rivalry games, needed to win national titles, championships. That's the type of thing. Because Ohio State knows if they build themselves up and get better and better each week going into the Michigan game and then they beat Michigan, everything's there for them. Everything's yep. there for them. That's it's, the- a, it's a very emotional game. And, and um, I think... You know, when Michigan's in a, in a tough game, in an emotional driven game, you know, I think that lines up with your uh, with the stats that everyone points out where Michigan really struggles in those, you know, really close, really big games. And, you know, that, that's such like an intangible thing to to like coach. It is like a, just a culture shift. And I don't I don't know how you do that. But um, but but you're right. I mean, that, that's it's simply not good enough. And if, if Michigan hasn't scoured the face of the earth for the solution and how to change the approach for that at this point, 
like you said, that's something that costs you your job. If, if Harbaugh doesn't start doing that, it's not, people won't remember him for, yeah, you know, lots of good, really solid competitive teams. They're going to say, Oh, he was the coach that couldn't beat Ohio state. Like, you know, like you get, that, you that's get coopered, right? Exactly. You get coopered. That's what people, that's what people remember you by. And, um, if that, if that doesn't bother him, then, then he's not at the right spot. Harbaugh's on the, on the Cooper line right now. Like, like he's For sure. an even worse than Cooper. I mean, Cooper had to rebuild Ohio state up. I mean, they were terrible when he took the job over in a way that I don't even think Michigan was. They didn't make a bowl game, I don't think, until their third year under Cooper. And he got, you know, he went like 2-11 and 11 against Michigan, I think. And some defenders of Harbaugh, when I made the comparison on Twitter, like, hey, but Cooper got 13 years to do it. It's like, no, no, this is a different era. If yep. you go 0-5 against, against Ohio State, next season is a must-win for Harbaugh. You know, I right. mean, I, I love Jim Harbaugh. If he goes 0-7 against Ohio State, that's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah, that's, like, that's, that's rough that's, stuff. That should be it. I, I, this is a whole other conversation for another day. Yeah, but we, we got to wait felt, for this one. <laughs> I've, I've turned, my, my line of thinking has turned, done a complete 180 over the past 365 days from, I used to believe Ohio State was, was a very, very, very important game. The biggest game on the schedule but you know, like we could live without without it every once in a while. But I I am firmly in the camp that literally nothing else matters. Six and six, but you beat Ohio State. I'm happy with it. I don't care. In, until Michigan starts asserting themselves in that game, they have. And I'm not trying to take anything away from you know double overtime, whatever. Best games ever. Michigan just needs to freaking win the game. That's it. Yep. End of story. So- so what are your expectations for the rest of the season? Seven and five, truthfully, and I don't. Th- that doesn't cost Jim Harbaugh his job. I don't. Uh, Harbaugh gets one more crack at the whip, no matter what next year, even with a seven and five season, because honestly, every program has a down year, and maybe no one saw this year coming, but this just things just might have lined up imperfectly, and it sucks because we had the home schedule that we had, we had the home schedule we have. But this team, watching this team play Rutgers, I said this before, looked like the JV team beating up on the freshman team. And yep. I, I did not mean that as a compliment to Michigan. So, something about it, and I think what it is, is the Shea Patterson stuff plus the defensive line stuff bothers me more than anything else because both are so blindingly obvious. I love Shea. He has all the tools to be an all-conference great quarterback. He just read his reads are so late. You're so right. He only makes throws when people are blindingly open, and the great quarterbacks don't do that. He he can be a good quarterback, but I think that puts a ceiling on his ability and the offense's ability. And then the defensive line. If you don't get interior defensive line play, you're not beating Penn State. You're not you're not sniffing Penn State. You're not beating Notre Dame, and you're definitely not beating Ohio State. Yep. Rutgers is a coin flip at the at the best if your interior defense line isn't able to do anything. I mean, it sucks losing. A coin flip? Rutgers is not a coin no, flip. Oh, did I say Rutgers? I meant Iowa. I meant Iowa. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, yeah. Maybe Iowa. I misheard you, but... Well, <laughs> I I, like, Iowa is a, home, is a coin flip. Let me yeah. tell you what. I, 2003, 2004, I saw Iowa. And it, was, it was a Michigan homecoming game, just like this weekend. Mm-hmm. Iowa came in here. They beat 
the bricks off of Michigan. I think it might have been, and I'll stop my ranting after this. It was my very first Michigan football game. Um, I'm pretty sure it was 2003. We're going to look up the score right quick. Uh, no, it wasn't 2003. It might have been 2004. Yeah, this is great. This is great entertainment. <laughs> I was a young lad at this time. It was 2002. Iowa beat the bricks off of Michigan. Uh, yeah, 34 to 9. Oof. Uh, yeah, that, that's a beating. Yeah, and it was homecoming for Michigan. And it was my first ever football game. Iowa was ranked 14th and Michigan was ranked 8th. Wow. Homecoming is my first year living in the state of Michigan. Oh, I get to see the Michigan Wolverines. This is huge. This is huge. 34 to 9. It, should, it set my expectations. It should have set my expectations for the rest of my life there. Um, big games in Michigan Wolverines. Do not mix. Yep. Yep. Well, this will be a big opportunity, man. Season's on the line. Like, really. this. If you want everything in front of you still... There is no room for error. Yep. This is this is it. What to expect when you're not expecting, man? I'm not expecting a whole that's lot. It. I'm not. That's why. That's just where I am. And maybe it's just mental safety. Mental fatigue, mental safety. I get it. I'm. I'm. I'm I. I am a eternal optimist. I'll say, but I. I, I even think I'm even dialing back quite I, a bit. I'm so also, I'm with you. I'm a very passionate, emotional, loud optimist so when you've turned me you, you've broken me essentially <laughs> I am broken. you can't put that on me man <laughs> not you no michigan football broke me i'm saying they, oh they, okay they, they broke me yep. you're still there so i'm impressed by you <laughs> you've got a stronger fortitude so it's that michigan man lineage there <laughs> all right steven have fun in in europe i'll talk to you in two weeks yeah i'll be back i'll be watching hopefully i i get some some tweets out there with some thoughts. Hopefully they're positive more than negative, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, we'll see if not, I'll, I'll drown myself in some, some Europe beer. Some I'll find some 50 <laughs> imported beer from that's Romania. It. That's it. I, I expect you back 10 pounds heavier, like a uh, Ben Mason's off season there. There we go. All weight gain is good weight gain. That's right. <laughs> Especially at a wedding in Europe. That's it. That's it. All right, Stephen, go blue. All right, go blue.